Hello, everyone. This is React Roundup podcast. And today we have our guest panelists, Dave Sidian. Hey, everybody. Leslie Conwine. Hey, y'all. I hope I pronounced y'all's names correctly. And our guest, our special guest today is Glenn Reyes. Hey, everybody. Hey, folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I, I just I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. So Glenn, can you talk a little bit about your background and how did you become a programmer? How did you find React and everything? Where are you from? Hey, um, my name is Glenn. I'm a software engineer based from uh, Vienna, Austria. And I've been... Uh, programming since i think professionally since 2013 where i just started as a like jquery developer but i think the first time i ever like started coding was maybe at around 14 where i just just wanted to, to, to do some fancy geocities websites and then i didn't notice that i just already did like html so uh yeah today i'm today i'm just uh, like building applications and uis with react and graphql I created Graphpack, uh, which is an open source project for, which is a zero configuration server for GraphQL. And yeah, organizing also like React Vienna meetups here and, and uh, yeah. Nice. One uh, talk that is a very recent talk of yours that current caught, caught our attention is the one about React Fill-in that you're talking about a really interesting subject that I believe resonates with everyone doing programming for more than, I don't know, how, how long, which is how do I draw the line between choosing a third party and a handcraft component in React? So, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I uh, talked about this topic because um, it's like I often, I often had uh, the case where I was working in a team and I was wondering, like, for example, why are we using CUID over Nano ID when it comes to like generated IDs? Or maybe another one like why are we using Moment and not like the smaller DayJS, the same API when it comes to data APIs? You can you can ask the same one, for example, also when it comes to like form libraries or maybe um, date pickers or or utility libraries and um, it's like like a fundamental problem that we all like face and for that i just decided to research more about the like like the common holistics like the metrics that we just intrinsically take to decide whether to go with an external library or whether we should just write our own code to to solve the problem right mm -hmm. yeah the first thing that we usually learn when we are starting 
to Dev is like, don't reinvent the wheel. So like the first naive answer to that question would always like, just choose a library. Just never do it yourself. Is it the correct answer in your opinion after your research? It's a very valid um, quote, I would say. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that would answer everything that you want to, that every, every problem that you face. But for example, there are other libraries that do much more than you need, for example, right? So for example, if you want to have like um, this relative date uh, in a short version, you might not need just a whole like big data library for that. It might be just something smaller or even write your own code for that, right? But that comes with the trade-off that um, if you, in case, needs later more from the data library or that you might need more features. Like when is, when is the point where you say, um, at what percent of the API of the data library is it worth to switch to it, right? <laughs> It's kind of hard to explain, but I think it's like yeah, I understand because I've been I've been in in both situations a situation where I was in a in a in a project that had Lodash just to use like two functions. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> they had like the whole Lodash thing. I've worked in projects that did not want to use Lodash, so they have like a utils.js file that it was like actually like rewriting Lodash. <laughs> because yeah. like every time they needed like a new YouTube function, we would write one. So in the end, like we had like kind of like a worse version of Lodash oh, yeah. That's uh, implemented uh, from scratch. So yeah. yeah. I think the only reason we were using Lodash was like the get function because it's so nice for filling into objects. And I was, at one point I was like, you know, Lodash, you can install just, like at lodash slash get or something, right? Like just that one function. Mm -hmm. So I remember thinking like, oh, I'll just go to GitHub and just copy and paste the code out of there. But there's all this like extra stuff, like extra lodash utility functions. Like their their code is very factored apart. So it's, it's really hard to just, just pick out that one function. I feel like I usually start by trying to write my own and then I'll have some random to-dos in my utils file that's like, hey, when you add, you know, three more functions to this file, maybe consider swapping it out for a library. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah this is good. Yeah. often, like, the case also, for example, I need, I need the is touch or something like that from the moment library. Like, the moment package is just really bad. I just needed a condition whether something is a touch device or not, or is touch enabled or not. So, <laughs> yeah, this is something, yeah. Some, sometimes yeah. an approach is also just copy-paste utility, utility functions and then just use it in your own code. But, yeah, it depends on how much are you now copy-pasting from something or w why don't you just take the library and then get benefits over the, uh, through the updates and all that. Yeah, yeah. right. Because if you write it yourself, now you have to maintain it. You've got to write the tests. Hopefully you write the tests. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Before we continue with that in that line of like, now we have to maintain it, I, I just want to comment about this quote. Something came, came to my mind. I, I don't actually like the quote, uh, do not try to reinvent the wheel, because we almost never need a wheel. 
We, it's like we need things that are round that can be, you know, that you can call it. It's like sometimes you're, you're building a car and you need a tire. You're building, I don't know, like something else that's in the round. The thing people say, like, don't reinvent the wheel. We already have tires. Now, not everything that is rounded is a tire. So, like, it's, it's not everything is as straightforward and as, like, generic. Most of the challenges that we encounter are really specific to our problems, a lot of times we say, don't reinvent it. We'll just use this ready-made thing. This ready-made thing, a lot of times it's not made for your particular problem. And then you end up having to solve your problem and then having to solve all the issues that came from using like the wrong library and using the, long, the wrong abstraction. So it's not yeah. as straightforward. It's, it's, it's a really like high-level art to find good abstractions and see your specific problem and then find a really good abstraction that helps you with your specific problem. That's yeah, really definitely. This is where our expertise comes from. It's like, what are these kind of decisions we do as a developer or as an architect? Yes. Yeah. Building features. Like, we have to do that. We, have to, we just do it like constantly when, whenever we are coding, whenever we are like thinking about something. It's just this constant architectural decision that we are we are making, right? Lynn, in your experience, I guess when you're like starting out on a new feature or something that you need to build and you are considering whether to use like a third-party library or something, how do you like start approaching that problem? What's the first step? Yeah, well, first of all, I have my favorite libraries that I'm gonna that I'm using. But we can split, I think, this whole thing up in several parts or several topics before before it comes to a decision, right? So the first one is maybe, like, if you think about um, the use case that you have or the problem that you have, like, how, how complex is it to just write it on your own, right? Or just write something that on your own? Or, um, like, how big is the thing that you... That you're gonna build, and what are what are the time like constraints to, to just rebuild it or to just learn something that somebody else built for for that? And there are a lot of like aspects that that can be think thought of, uh, think about. For example, also um, what kind of API you want to have, or for example, if some something else exists, what are the risks of like creating new bugs for that, or maybe or um, maybe something that exists that um, is actively maintained or something, right? So there are lots of like different um, aspects that ha that has to be think uh, thought about when when you want to pick something. If you are a lot in open source, you might have the question like, for example, what about the popularity? Should I pick the library with the highest popularity? Or um, what about GitHub stars, or what is popularity? Is it GitHub stars, or is it NPM downloads, or yeah. friends? Yeah, you know? that now seems to be like, like a common Yeah, common now we have like the, the used by <laughs> label on GitHub. This popularity thing is interesting because uh, we talk about, okay, so if we create the library ourselves, we'll need to maintain it. But a lot of times, if you are using a open source library that is not very popular, you end up having to, like in the worst case, make a fork and start to maintain it, or you need to go through the whole process of contributing to it to, to fix or change uh, whatever. And it's not like cost zero either. 
Like it can be fulfilling, it can be like good to like contribute back, but it's not cost zero. So it's easier to to change something that it's in a folder in your in your Git history than 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 something that is open source too. So this is a, an interesting thing to yeah. think about. Yeah. I mean, I think it always depends on what are you currently working on, right? So I wouldn't say that in general, but maybe. Um, it's a, it's a good it's i think most points you're gonna do that like direction it's like a typical question for like how how do you decide on a library right mm -hmm. so yeah stars how well maintained is it what are, so, what are you know, the latest commits and, and so on yeah so so like go, going more concrete imagine you have to to create the an autocomplete input right something on a page of your product that is a not a complete that goes to a to an API to, to gather items to show in a dropdown. How would you start thinking about that problem? Um, where, where do you start? You have the design? Yeah, I think the most important part here at first is like to understand the big picture of what you, what you really need. And once you get that, you get a feel of what is out there. So, right, and this is also the next problem to know what already exists. This is, this is like very hard when it comes to like NPM packages or something mm -hmm. kind of like solving parts of maybe similar problem. And yeah, and then once you have that, I just try to like build it. I just build it how, how, however it works at the moment. And then think about like, um, like improving it later. So um, it's just this intrinsic like, um, like thoughts that you have when it comes to building building something, right? But um, the decision that you make at first is just uh, it's just your your own like knowledge that you are like expertise that you have and that you wanna like uh, execute. So um, yeah. I was just going to say, I think business constraints play into it also, right? Because you also kind of have to weigh who are the other stakeholders in the decision, my product manager, you know, whoever is sort of running the project, you've got to consider how much time you have to build the thing. Um, having worked right now at a startup and before that at agencies, time is always a, a huge factor. But like, like Luga said, you know, you also have to consider the costs of time in the future, right, to maintain or to, to add functionality if it doesn't exist. So I've sort of done comparison studies um, when you're kind of in that research mode in the past, sort of laying out all the criteria for like the feature that you need right now. What are the things you need in that library now? You know, throw it all in a table so you can actually see how everything kind of stacks up and then kind of make the decision from there. But then you always run into that that problem at the on the other side that once you need to, to build off it or continue to iterate who knows if that library is going to continue to meet your needs that's it software developing is is difficult everything every problem that i think about i always think it's the most difficult problem so okay yeah so all the problems are difficult but this one is a, yeah, <laughs> this one is a especially difficult one it's like every decision we make is actually like dynamic it's it's, it's ch like time changes things are always changing so like whatever you choose today you have to think about like how is it going to evolve even some of the indicators can become out of date too. I mean, like GitHub stars don't decay. I don't really, I don't see people talking about this a lot. But if you've got like a ten-year-old library that has ten thousand stars, like <laughs> it, the, the, it might be dead, but you, you know, the stars don't go to zero. And I think that, and the commits thing can be kind of a misleading indicator too, because if you look at projects like you know Redux Thunk or something, where the 
it hasn't had an update in forever yeah. because it's like 10 lines of code. Like that doesn't mean it's dead. It's just that it's, it's done. <laughs> they, may, yeah, they may have solved pretty well that particular problem. That's why they don't need to change that much. Yeah. You see it also at the very like um, important libraries that are hardly touched, but, but hacked by others. <laughs> you just yeah, see right, it right. yeah, it can also be a huge red flag if the thing is not updated. So it's really hard to, it's hard to tell, I guess. You have to yeah. sort of take all these things into account. I think, I think at the end of the day, what we are just trying to to do is just to like to reduce harm as much as possible, like to reduce risks and any negative impacts as much as possible, right? So um, it doesn't matter actually in the end, like how well it was solved. The thing is just um, to uh, decide on whether we have less work afterwards or not right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting because we also need to fight a bunch of like irrational biases that we have because we're humans so this is another thing like we need to as you say like we need to be as rational like we are we're like solving an engineering problem right so it's like if you're building a stadium you you don't need to be like i can't imagine people being passionate about the type of concrete i don't know I, i've never built I'm sure, I'm sure there are people. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> That's their life's work. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to look for blog posts of people that are advocates of one type of concrete, saying like concrete be considered harmful or things like that. I don't know. Because uh, I, I would love to see a study like that, a uh, psychological study. I believe, for instance, that we value more projects that have a logo when we see things on GitHub. yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it looks like, oh, people are, I don't know. like it serious somehow. Right? Our, yeah, it touches our, our uh, irrational, I don't know what here. And, and so we need to, when we're talking about, yeah, let's be like completely objective and try to, to understand the pros and cons. But we are also finding all these human, I don't know, biases that affect us. So it's 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 very difficult, and people around us too. Like the other, our teams also have like their own passions and stuff like that. And you know, while a logo might not matter in the long run, or GitHub badges or or whatever, certainly good documentation matters, right? If you're using this, so sometimes those things are tied together. If there's a logo or there's a company behind the library, Perfect, you know, yeah. there's more uh, manpower, more people behind it maybe better docs, but you know, all of those things don't necessarily correlate. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe having a logo means that some, someone is like taking care of it, like so much that they're even thinking about the logo. Maybe, maybe it's a good sign. Maybe having a logo, it's a good sign that someone is really like, someone really wants to. Yeah. It's something that you give love to, right? (laughs) Yeah. Why doesn't have everything a logo? (laughs) Another indicator. It seems like that that's sort of the, that's what a lot of these indicators are meant to decide, right? Like how well taken care of is the thing. And so like, if it is well taken care of, then I won't have to take care of it myself. That seems like that's the golden library is like the one you can install and just like, either it'll work out of the box forever or it'll automatically get updates forever, but you won't have to think about it and it'll just do exactly what you want. And it doesn't seem like that ever really happens. (laughs) Thinking about another concrete example here, I have the graph pack GitHub open in front of me. It was built by you, right, Glenn? It has a great logo, and it even has a list with emojis, which is also a big thing. 
Like what is included? Every item has an emoji. This is really cool. So what, what would you say, like, like if I have this problem to solve, like the, my company decided to, 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 to start a GraphQL server, like how would I go between doing everything like uh, handcrafted here or using GraphPack, using your, your library? When, when it makes sense to use your library, when it doesn't, how, how would you say? Well, um, it depends on, depends on what exactly you are doing around our, what our what an environment around GraphQL would be. I think if you want to play around and just get started with the core concepts of GraphQL, then GraphTag might be a nice like start to just get started with, you know, just writing the down schema and running down resolvers. But if you want to learn like how, or if you want to extend, if you want to be more flexible with the server. Uh, for example, if you want to, if you have a serverless environment or something like that, then like the, the solution that I use in GraphTech internally would be a better like start. I guess if you want to learn more about, or if you want to, if you need more power of the GraphQL server, then I think just going with Apollo or something else would be a better start. So GraphTech is just helping beginners to get started with GraphQL. Mm, so th that's that's how you would describe your your library. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that what I tried to solve with GraphPick is just is is not like to restrict the the API that for example Apollo has. This is what, what I'm using here internally. But it's just setting some like sensible defaults for for a server that you almost don't need anything to do when you wanna use that. Yeah, so it's like create React app sort of for, for GraphQL. Exactly, yeah. That's awesome. Or, or Next.js, yeah, it's just... Yeah, yeah. for a agent-like environment, this is gold, right, Leslie? Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. So one, one other question about this, uh, this subject. We have this conundrum of like library handcrafted, what about buying stuff, buying products, buying solutions? Is it the same mindset? Is it a different mindset? Like when, for instance, we, uh, um, I, I worked uh, in a company before that they, they were having like some custom dashboards for like performance monitoring. And then we decided on stop doing that and, and like pay for a speed curve. And it's a product with support yeah. and stuff like that. Like, do you think it's the, the, the same mindset when, when you're making those choices? I think it's very similar. I mean, it, it, it's different. Let's take it from the other perspective. When you sell something that is like very high quality code or something, or if you want to sell something, then that means that you take care a lot of like how you want to sell it. It's like my emojis on my on my GraphPack <laughs> documentation <laughs> and, the, and the logo right? But um, if you sell something like, for example, chart libraries or I don't know, something very high quality, then that means that there's a lot of like hard work has been, that, that there has a lot of been work done behind that. That also means that you provide like probably a lot more support when it comes to like special problems but uh, all that doesn't mean that open source or maybe free free software is all that bad, right? It's just a little different. I wouldn't buy something if I can't test it before or if I like 
get the money back if I don't want it anymore or if I don't need it. Or it's, I wouldn't like waste money just for trying or just for finding out if it's something that fits to you, right? Yeah. There's also the issue, I guess, of, of like whether or not you can change it later. Because like with open source, at least, if it doesn't meet your needs, you can probably open it up and try to figure it out and, and yeah, modify right. it. But purchase things, sometimes you can. Sometimes it's just like you buy the source code. But also sometimes they like obfuscate it and you can't change it. And then you've got to go back yeah. to the company and hope for the best. I just think you have expectations as a developer. If you're purchasing something, if your company's purchasing something, right? You said you, that support, you know, is a huge piece of it. And some of that transparency around kind of the buying process. Like, I agree. I would always want to prototype using it, figure out like, what are the limits? Does this really meet my needs? Um, how's it going to scale with me moving forward? And how responsive are they? Also, do they take like feature requests somewhere online? Like if I did have something I wanted to add, is that an option? I think those are all things I would ask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are topics or there are like um, parts where to buy it is often the, the better like solution. For example, I don't know, CI deployments or bug reporting software. I think I would I would never like build something on my own, but um, servers. I'm sure there, are, there are like open source solutions. Yeah. yeah, servers basically. But when you're building on a front end something, then um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe some some things are nice to buy. I wouldn't like create your own own like font face for your corporate or something <laughs> but um yeah if you have like very small utilities yeah some sometimes i i hear people saying things like oh this this whole website could be like a magenta website instead of like a super react website and things like that so this is I actually like don't 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 have the right answer for for those things sometimes things are just like hard to change so you just have to go with the flow do what have been done but usually i try to think about okay what's the mission right what's the mission of the company what's the my mission here what do i need to do and how can i work on things that actually differentiate myself or the company in going forward with the mission like usually managing server is like such a generic work that i don't need to to use my brain power to to make sure that the servers are available so i better like pay aws to do it or the same thing with speed curve like they sold really well like performance monitoring why instead of making an internal dashboard in react for performance monitoring i should be doing the actual product yeah. <laughs> and just leave it to to speed curve but but it's not as straightforward because there's all there's always like a little bit Things are here and there, they're not like 100% the way we need. And like every time you choose to go with a ready-made solution, be it a library or, or something you buy, there will always be some, some people who will say like, see, like if we, if we built from scratch, we would have like this feature. That we yeah, no, nothing have. is perfect. It's funny, yeah. it's sort of like the, the, there's sort of the two different maybe curves where it's really easy yeah. in the beginning and then it gets harder, or it's really hard in the beginning and then it gets easier. I think I think it can kind of go both ways. Like if you build it from scratch, sometimes that's easier in the beginning because it's like you know how to use the thing, you know it, it's doing exactly what you want. And then you, when you have to maintain it six months later, you're like, oh man, like why did I write it this way? This is terrible. Um, <laughs> and then you have the opposite. I think with with something that you install, where like it, it might start off easy and then you know it bites you down the road. 
Or it might start off really annoying. You're like, well, geez, I really should have written this myself because like, it's so hard to use this API or whatever. It just doesn't fit my mental model. But then once it clicks, then it's like, oh, okay, great. This is, this is great now. I think, I think like I, React is that way for kind of for me in the beginning and for a lot of people where like you just feel weird about the whole like thinking statefully in JSX and stuff. And then once you get over, you're like, oh, this is great. Like I, I get it now. And so it gets easier over time. But yeah, I don't know. You sort of don't know until you get into it though. And to that point, I think you also have to think about the people on your team or the other developers that you might be working with or future developers on whatever it is you're building, right? Because you have to get over that hump, but then you have to expect that they're also going to have to do that if you're choosing something that requires like yeah. a lot of knowledge or domain knowledge or something like that. So for me, when I'm choosing a library, it's also this sort of balance between what are the other people on my team proficient at? What are their skill sets? How can I choose something that's going to be like long-term something that other developers can adopt relatively easily? Yeah. 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 You're kind of optimizing for that ramp up curve, making it easy. Yeah. Because if you think about, we only have enough time to code some number of lines. Like we are, we're only going to be really effective if we can accelerate everyone around us. Right. So if we if we if we're making a decision that only make like yourself faster, it, it doesn't doesn't help much. Yeah, I think it's a huge benefit if you build something that will save time over a long period. Yeah, and uh, that at a so cost that you take a lot of time. So that's. <laughs> but it's so yeah, difficult. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. some changes you make are so difficult to change in the future, as as you said. Like if you, oh, let's start with like, I'm going to start, we're starting the company now. We're writing the first code There's going to production. Let's just start with Python. It's going to be Python forever. This Python is going to be with you forever. So like whatever you choose, let's start with C Sharp and then we figure it out. There's no figuring it out. It's going to be C Sharp forever. This legacy. <laughs> yeah. Like it's going to, it's going to be with you for at least the next 10 years of your life. Like yeah. it, it's, it's, it's crazy how some how prototypes some never die. Yeah, they never. It is, it's complicated. Lately I've been thinking about like, I like really solutions that are either like brilliant they're like, oh my God, this really solved the problem. This is great. Or I go with like the blandest, like boring solutions. You know, like, oh, I'm going to start writing my servers in this like language that I just found out about. This is going to be with you for the like, next 10 years. It better be brilliant. If not, like go, go with the Python, with the... Yeah, right. Go things. with the, the well-understood like, thing. <laughs> yeah, because... Yeah, some decisions really will be your companions for years and years. Yeah. It's similar if you wanna if you wanna start something with JavaScript or just just go with TypeScript, right? It's like there is already like I think I think even even asking asking this is already just so many different opinions. I think in your team, I mean, there's also the way if you just start progressively, like go with JavaScript and and then like later add TypeScript, but uh, yeah, there is always like these different decisions that you have to make when it comes to building something. The, the, the thing is, um, I think that we as, a, as, as developers want to avoid is like this over-engineering, right? Yeah. Since the decisions will be with you forever, make less decisions <laughs> because you at least will have like some... I think um, 
that's mostly beneficial if it's not an engineer. But uh, yeah, it, it doesn't mean that it's easier to use, right? With something is is just some mentality that we have or we do when we use something that's very easy to use or if there's something that exists that's very easy to use but is over-engineered. But, yeah. <laughs> that balance between, you know, going with something that's on the bleeding edge that you're really excited about versus going with something sort of tried and true that's been around a little bit longer. And that, I think, also always plays into, into the conversation. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah I mean, yeah, I don't know, trying out the news of the greatest, <laughs> but doesn't mean that this is the most stable one or most, like, common yes. thing that's... Yeah, that's why, yeah, we need to be careful, like, really... Whenever we are we are trying something new, I always try to think of okay, we need to make like a clear experiment, like what do we want to learn with this, like make something like self-contained. This is a good thing about React. Since it isolates things well isolated in, in components, sometimes if you want to experiment, I want to experiment with Elm. You can make like a component written in Elm. And then if you don't like it, if you say, like, okay, this is, you don't need to get married with Elm and create like the whole application and migrate everything. You, you, you can like put it on only one component or as we talked with David uh, Piano last, last week, like you can, I'm going to use the state machine. You can make like one component, put it there, see if you like it or not. Like it's a good experiment, well-contained, small and then, like, I will either use it or not. But sometimes, if you're like, I'm going to start writing all these microservices with this language, this is going to be our language for years. Yeah, yeah, the microservices <laughs> thing, too, I feel like is also, I think, for a lot of... I don't understand everything that starts with micro. <laughs> it is at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> micro front ends. Oh, uh, yeah, it does feel like... You can go but too far in the easy like, and smaller. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it, maybe that's it. Like it, it feels easier and smaller, but then you've got ten of them instead of one bigger thing. And like it, it's like that Yagni problem, right? That you ain't gonna need it thing, where like you're you're designing for your millions of users when you have zero users. It's just like yeah. <laughs> extra yeah. complexity. Yeah, it's really complicated because instead of having like one big thing, you have ten small things that. In isolation, they are really easy to think about, but the problems is on the integration. And no yeah. one can run the 10 things in their own computer, and it's really right. difficult to test. It's really difficult to understand. It's not, the, it's not the 10 things. It's the 100 lines that connect the 10. That's it. Yeah, the, the connections are the connections become the problem, and it's really, really difficult to test the connections and to understand what's, what, what is happening. Yeah, it's not a straightforward problem to solve either. I love that idea of kind of being able to experiment with things in sort of isolation or in small, small components, small areas. And also, I think a big part of that is documenting your findings. Uh, I think mm. we talk a lot about just writing the code, but a big part of it when you're talking about third-party code or, or testing something out is what did you learn from it? Do you want to move forward with it? Do you not? Here are the reasons why we shouldn't consider this in the future. Perfect. I think that also comes into play when we're talking about the third-party libraries, right? Um, if you prototype with something, maybe, you know, leave notes for, for the future developer about why why maybe you did or didn't go with that solution. Um, yeah. So they have that knowledge. This is so important. This is so important. And yeah, I always try to, to do that. Like I'm still trying to find like what's the best tool to do that. Like usually in the companies I work, they have Confluence or some yeah. wiki like that. 
Yeah, we use Notion. What do you use? We use Notion. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Notion's never never used it. Yeah, Notion is great. I think most of the time when we are coding, we're also spending like time on researching. Like, that's that's actually what you just touched. And I think the time you spend on researching should also like should also for that you should also spend some time on what have you what have you researched. So yes, that's that's why document what if what you just did. Yeah, the thing is probably that documentation is the, the most important documentation is what is not in the code. There's no code comments. There's no clean code for that, right? It's like, what about all the failed experiments? Things that you tried and you're not using now and why you're not using because like it's, it, it won't be in the code. There's, there's, there's not even like a place for you to put any comments or any markdowns inside your code. So it needs to be somewhere else. And it's like really important knowledge if you think about, because people say this, people, people can say like, why, why, are, why are we using, uh, I don't know, Redux Saga instead of Redux Tunk? We're not using Tunk. Like maybe in the past, someone was doing that kind of experimentation, like reached some conclusions. Where is it? Where, where do you yeah, those comments? Maybe there's a good reason this thing isn't here. Yep, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Wow, interesting. It's like similar to the situation when you when you try to like reduce Redux code in general, but at the other end, other people are still like adding adding up Redux stuff. It's like probably a communication thing, but um, it's yeah, it's similar to to this kind of problem. Yeah, I've seen a lot of instances where if you don't have that knowledge, it's really tempting to go in and change it to the thing that you feel most comfortable with, right? Yeah, exactly. Finding a way to avoid that. Right. That's right. it. First thing you go, like npm install Redux Tunk. Yeah, and you start looking at the soldier, like, should I do this? Because I want to, but I don't think <laughs> maybe there's a reason they didn't. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. All right, so let's start picks today with uh, you, Dave. Do you have any picks? Sure. Um, I've only got one. Actually, it's pretty relevant, though. So um, I saw this link the other day called boringtechnology.club. It's this. <laughs> it's like the slide. Pretty much the slides from a talk called "Choose Boring Technology" by a guy named Dan McKinley, and it's pretty nice. much all about this, like picking the old mature stuff. You know, building your thing with like just a couple services or just a couple technologies, like using Python and Postgres, and not going after the shiny new stuff because it's going to work in ten years and. It's, it's well understood, you know, where the, where the problems are and everything. And yeah, so I think it's a good one. Nice. Leslie, do you have any picks for today? Yeah, there's a, a new podcast I'm kind of excited about called the Ladybug Podcast. Uh, four women in tech are leading that. 
Ali Spittle, Emma, Lindsay, Kelly, sorry, I didn't say all your last names, but they're talking about debugging the tech industry, which is super cute name, Ladybug. Um, so ladybug.dev, they released their first episode, which was sort of about like career trajectory, trajectories uh, in computer science, which is really interesting. I'm stoked just to hear from more voices uh, in the podcast world. And then my other totally non-related pick is that we recently got a big green pick, which is like a grill smoker. Nice. Oh my God. It's amazing. Uh, Wes Boss is also a huge fan and talks about these nonstop, but uh, my my partner is all about smoking literally everything. Highly recommend. Oh my God, I love that. So, yeah. Last week, uh, a neighbor of mine, he bought a green egg and we said like, let's grill some meat on it. And we almost killed everyone involved. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> we could not. We, we're still learning. Like things, <laughs> things were yeah, really all of place. Yeah, but it's amazing. It's amazing. It's I amazing. wanted to get one of those, but I think it would collapse my deck. What <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, are huge. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So uh, my pick for, for today is this really cool. I, I love uh, these CSS uh, solutions for stuff. So I saw this dev, what's, how do I pronounce it? Dev2, dev2 blog post. And it's top 20 CSS navigation menus by Lawrence, which was really cool ideas and really cool solutions so I, I always like to 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 look at those and understand what's happening here and there like CSS is is, is an amazing world and it's super fun to build things purely with CSS and Glenn do you have any picks any links you would like to share oh yeah I have I have actually I think a link but I probably can share it later but there's a person on Instagram like a female developer called Lydia Halley and she's doing like great like JavaScript questions as Instagram stories, which is really nice to. Uh, oh, that's a cool idea. It's nice to follow. So um, I can maybe send the link here. Nice. Yeah, that's really cool. She's sending like very like job, like very basic JavaScript questions, or maybe some sometimes like very difficult ones. But she also got like um, a GitHub repository about that, where she lists all the questions. And it's re really interesting if you like want to like keep up with uh, f fundamental JavaScript or just basically or sometimes sometimes React questions. It's That's nice. nice. To, like, That's cool. Yeah. So Glenn, thank you very much. It was an honor having you in the podcast. And yep. Until next week, everybody. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.